Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Royals assistant general manager Gene Watson joins me on the latest KC Bobcast. Not to talk about the Royals, but talk about advice for parents who are dealing with kids in youth sports right now. The proper way to handle it and how to handle things during this pandemic. Well, Gene, a lot has gone on with baseball, not just on the major league side of things, but on you know the everything side of things. And one of the things I love about you and talking about you is is, is the game from the grassroots up and where where we are right now. And a lot of parents are sitting around going. What am I supposed to be doing with my kids right now? We can't get out and play. My daughter, Delaney, asked me the other day, she goes, Dad, can we do like a Zoom practice with the softball team like we're doing with soccer? I'm like, that may be a little complicated. So what what should parents be doing right now as we all sit around kind of just waiting? Well, you know, a lot of parents that I've spoken to are doing a lot of conditioning um, with their children. You know, if you if you go around our neighborhood right now, you see a lot of parents running with their kids. You know, a lot of our neighbors are playing catch. You can hear batting practice being taken in the cages in the backyard. So I think it's much like it's fallen much into like a winter uh, environment right now where it's a lot of individual one-on-one workouts. And, you know, most of the facilities that, that I know of are closed right now, but people are just trying to be very creative and getting in their daily workouts. But for the most part, it's a lot of conditioning and, and weight training right now. You know, I, I was driving around the other day and I, I saw a father out on a field and they were playing soccer this dude's got cones set up. He's got a whistle around his neck. He's blowing his whistle at his kids. And I'm thinking, and that may, may be a little overboard at, at this point in time. And, and there were little kids, like eight years old or something like that. It wasn't like they were older kids. They were young kids. I'm like, that may be a little overboard at, at, at times. Do you sense that parents are at this point more so than ever maybe pushing their kids towards sports and to get some stuff done? No doubt. I think everybody, I think the marketing of our youth players has been going on for a long time. And, and I think it's a, it's a balance. I think you, you do, you know, I had a son that played and there were times where I really had to push him where I felt like he wasn't doing the, the things he needed to do on a daily basis. So it's really a balance of, of making it fun, making them understand that they, they do have to do, you know, more than others, because if, if all you ever do is what everybody else does, all you're ever going to be is average. And, in a climate when you're talking about 50,000 high schools in the United States of America, 
you've got to do a lot of individual work to separate yourself. But I think it's a balance between still, you know, improving as a player, uh, you know, keeping the naturalness uh, as a player uh, and making the game fun and not making it, you know, like it's a job. It can't be it's a job because if it is, they're going to burn out over time. Well, and I think also, too, a lot of parents have this vision, and a lot of kids have this vision. Hey, I want to play in the major leagues. I did. I wanted to be Don Mattingly when I was a kid. I'm sure you wanted to be. Who did you want to be when you were growing up? Nolan Ryan. There you go, <laughs> Nolan Ryan. So, so we all have our kind of heroes and, and the guys we wanted to be growing up. What's the pathway now for players to go from, even before high school, to even have a shot at playing, you know, professional baseball? Well, Bob, you know, the, the, the amateur uh, climate is, is so much different now than it was 30 years ago. And, and with, with the travel teams and the select sports, it's really become big business. It's become, you know, the marketing of the player. And, and you know, when you get into youth sports, you know, the most important things as like a 6 to 12-year-old is, is really just creating naturalness for whatever the sport is that you're playing, uh, learning how to be a great, great teammate, learning how to take instruction, uh, and, and learning how to uh, adjust and adapt to different scenarios. And I think, you know, from that 6 to 12 range, that's really the things that are important. Great teammate, naturalness for the game, take instruction and be able to adjust. And, and it's in baseball, from the 12 to 14 age group, that's where 80% of the dropout lies in the game of baseball. I can't speak to other sports, but I know that's really where it lies in baseball because the fields get bigger. Um, the bases are longer, the mounds further away, uh, the bigger, stronger, you know, taller player, you know, from six to 12, that's had a lot of success with the bat. Here comes the curveball. Their bodies are changing. Now all of a sudden they're not playing shortstop. They're not hitting third every game. They're striking out a lot more and they really have to have a great support structure in those 12 to 14, uh, year old ages to, to be able to manage failure because, it's not kid pitch anymore. And it's not, you know, it's not coach pitch. It's not T-ball. There's, so there's a lot of failure that comes to it. And so you really have to prepare your players for that time. And, and of the, the players that get through that 12 to 14 uh, stage in baseball, now you're moving into the 15, 16-year-old where now they're becoming young men. They're starting to have more distractions. And I, I tell parents all the time, you know, they'll, they'll call me and say, I've got this nephew or my son's this, 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 this. And I'll say, you know, how old are they? And they'll go, well, he's 11. I'm like, well, until he's got a car in the parking lot and a girlfriend in the stands, you don't really know what they're going to be. Because now the social distractions start to take a hold of, you know, that player. And, and, you know, maybe they went and hit six days a week and now it's three days a week. And so really managing the success, managing the failure part of it, but more than anything, eliminating the perceptions. And, and that is one of the things that, you know, when I got into uh, select baseball back in the fall of 1993, I was coming off of working for the Texas Rangers and Raphael Palmero, Kenny Rogers and Bobby Witt uh, helped me start a, a select program for underprivileged kids. And a lot of my kids went on to play professional baseball. I had a second round pick. I had a fourth round pick. Most of them went on to play college baseball and it was free. And, and I, I chose the 15, 16 year old age group at that time because a lot of the early select teams at that time were 17, 18. And so it was then starting to become saturated uh, with the 17, 18. So I started with 15, 16. And over time, now you look at it, you know, 27 years later, and you've got five and six-year-old select teams in every sport in America. And it's really turned into big business 
which is not entirely bad for the people that are qualified to manage those businesses, the people that have the backgrounds in those sports to teach the proper way of doing things. But, but I think that as through the journey, I think parents really have to be careful of what they're giving their money to, you know, what the return is on, on the, those dollars and, and making sure that, that you're using the sport uh, as a platform and not letting the sport use you. Well, and, and you mentioned that select stuff and, and, and we're dealing with that on the soccer end of things. I mean, it's like, is it time to go, play select soccer and pay for that kind of stuff? Is it time to just to continue to play rec or maybe a little bit better than rec and, and whatnot? And, and I've always, I don't want to say against paying to play, but against paying to play. Like I, I just, in, in my mind, I, I find that to be more of a business side of things than maybe what's best for the kids. How do you know if your kid's ready to go do that select type stuff versus if they're just a rec type of player? Well, Bob, you know, I had a, I had a son that was a two sport athlete and he was uh, diagnosed with a, uh, a heart condition in the seventh grade aortic uh, stenosis, aortic valve stenosis. And so they said, look, he's not going to be able to play football. And so I said, you know, a kid growing up in Texas is going to play football. So we, we started taking him to Nike kicking combines. And, you know, quickly he started competing very well in the seventh grade. And so, you know, but that coupled with his baseball, now I'm starting here from a lot of teams. We want your son to come play for us. We want, we want you to do this. We want you at this combine. We want you at this camp. And, and I was uh, really overwhelmed with it. And I, I called a friend of mine with the Atlanta Braves whose son was the number one quarterback prospect out of the state of Florida and was also uh, the top baseball player. He was a first round, ended up being a first round pick in baseball. And, and I said, you know, PK, I, I don't know how to manage all this. And I was in the sport. I was in the sports world. So I couldn't imagine what a family that is, it doesn't have, you know, the ins and outs of the sport, you know, getting bombarded with all this, what they would do. And, 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 and PK said it best. He said, Gene, let me ask you a question. You think your kid can play? And I said, yeah, I do. I think he's okay. He goes, if you want to find out when teams call, tell them that, well, you'll play, but you're not going to pay. And you're going to find – because what does every team and coach want to do? They want to win. They want the best teams on their players. And, and we immediately kind of got a gauge for what kind of player Tyler was. His team's caught. I would go, yeah, we'll play, but we're not paying. And, and I think in six years from that seventh grade on through his high school senior, I think there were two years where we, we even paid for him to play for anybody because, you know, teams want to be a part of, of – of, of, coaches want good players to be on their team. Now – if every parent in America took that stance, they would get an immediate gauge on what kind of player uh, their player is. Hey, look, you know, we want to play. The, the, the game is the ultimate evaluator. Uh, you know, what goes on between the white lines ultimately decides what a player is, not what your coaches say about you. What you do on the field is what you are as a player. And, and so, but what has happened is over the last 30 years is, Parents feel like wherever they are in whatever metropolitan area they are, if they feel like if their kid is not playing for program X, uh, then their kid's not a good player. And so they, they hide behind the perception of we're a part of this program. They're paying a lot of money to be a part of the program, and their kids aren't even playing. They're just a part of that program. And, and so you really have to eliminate the perceptions and that sort of like uh, just being able to, to that badge of honor saying we play for this program uh, when you're really not getting any benefit from it. And so how did all this begin? Like when, when did youth league sports go from being fun for the kids to basically big business like it is right now? 
Well, early, you know, in the early 90s when, when I got into it, you know, it was, it was a lot of for the better of the game. I mean, you know, the better kids wanted to compete on the better teams, and it was really good. I mean, you know, the Dallas Mustangs out of Dallas and, and Austin Slam out of Austin, and, you know, there were really good programs with the best players, and what it was basically was was all-star teams. So you would play for your high school team and then move into summer, and you'd be on a team like we had five high schools represented on my team. And then what happened was <clears> – <throat> You know, ex-players would come home and they saw that as, hey, you know what, if they're doing this or their playing careers are over, well, if they're doing this, I can do this. And, and it was really great. For a while there, it was wonderful because most of the coaches of these teams had played professionally or collegiately and knew what they were teaching. And, the, and there was a lot of benefit to the players. And there was kind of an offset. The players were given back to the game and the game was giving to them for their years of, of service to the game. And as time went on though, and as things went, you know, 17, 18 to 15, 16 to 13, 14 and down, what it became was, you know, parents that wanted to control the situation would start these teams to make sure their kid hit third, to make sure kid, their kid played shortstop, to make sure that their kid was comfortable and to ensure that they were in a, an environment where they were going to have a chance to be successful. Well, then from there, you'd have two coaches that would have a disagreement and they would spin off. And now one team becomes two and two become four and four become eight. And then when you factor in uh, at, at a, a, another point where people with money just started building fields and building facilities uh, because they could and, and creating programs, it's just spiraled into this web of, you know, everybody says select baseball and everybody says travel baseball or whatever it is. But my, my question to parents is who's selecting? What are the qualifications of that person to, to select your son to be on that team? And, and what kind of transparency or what kind of return are you getting in the valuation of the player for the dollar that you're spending? And so I think it's just kind of spiraled all the way down, my gosh, to the five and six-year-old age group where you've got baseball taking place. And, and a lot of these, you know, if you're going to go get your car fixed, you go to the best mechanic you can. If you're going to have surgery, you go to the best doctor you can. And when it comes to us developing our players and putting them in a great culture and a great situation to continually improve, I think a lot of parents are just going to situations that aren't very good for their kids. Yeah, and, and you see it all the time. It, it's almost like the parents are doing it because they don't want to be outdone by the other parents. And they're not maybe necessarily doing what's best for their kids, but they're doing what they feel is best for themselves and the perception that they have with the other parents inside the community. And I I, I can't get on board with that, you know? It's all fear-based, Bob. And, and, you know, there's not a parent in the world, and it doesn't matter what the sport is, there's not a parent in the world that signs their young child up at the age of six or seven years old that says to themselves, we're going to be paying upwards of $10,000. And that's on the low end, really. That's really four years of summer ball in baseball. But we're going to pay an upwards of $10,000 in fees just to get through an amateur system that might ensure, you know, 11.7 scholarships in that particular sport. And, and I don't think there's a parent in the world that, that plans to do that, especially single parents and single moms and, and low-income uh, families that, that can't afford to do that system. So what you're doing is you're, you're pushing those kids to other sports and you're asking them to either, you know, go to the low-dollar sports or not play at all. And I think that's a real unfortunate thing. And, and you've got to – You've got to hope that they have a lot of good advice, a good foundation, but, but it's really a broken system right now. You, you know, you mentioned before, and, and it's something that I, I say to parents a lot now because I, I learned it by listening to you, 
if you can play, we can find you. And, and parents, I think, are under this perception that if I'm not playing select baseball or select soccer, select football, whatever the case may be, I'm not going to get noticed by the scouts. My, my kid is good. And so they almost feel like they have to put their kids in those situations to get them the opportunity to get noticed. And, and that's just not necessarily the case, is it? Fear-based. And, and I think if you, you know, I, I think, first of all, you've got to look at your, your, your player's God-given ability, their God-given tools. You know, how fast are they? How tall are they? How strong are they going to be? You know, what's their body composition? And I think you have to really create your own sort of assessment of it. But the fear-based mentality is really what everybody's operating on. They're doing it, so we better do it. And that starts off at a very young age. The fact of the matter is this, in my belief, playing multiple sports is a very good thing for athletes. Playing a sport where your body is moving in different ways uh, based on what the sport is, you're put in different situations, uh, different high-pressure, low-pressure situations, different economic situations with your teammates. You know, when you talk about, you know, being on a football team or being on a baseball team or being on a basketball team or a soccer team, that's a different, those are different, you know, cultural bases and different dynamics of being a part of that team. And that's important because no matter what, for everybody, these sports are going to end for all of these kids and them being able to manage through life and be great leaders and great workers, great teammates, great husbands, great fathers is, is ultimately the, the end game. That's what you're hoping for. And when you put so much stock in more of the athletic side of it and then being successful athletes over those things, things can become unaligned. But, but, you know, back in the day, the recruiting process was this. You played high school sports. Your high school coach had a contact with college coaches. Or a college coach would come out to Austin Westlake, for instance, and watch a, watch a game, and they would see a player in the recruiting process of win. Well, that hasn't really changed. I mean, there's not a high school coach in the world with all the coaching conventions that go on state and nationally that don't know the college coaches. And so if all you ever did was play high school sports and you're a good player, they are going to find you. Your coach is going to do everything they can to give that opportunity to you. Now, what Select Sports has done is given the opportunity to the kid that's, that doesn't really have a choice with their high school program, and there may be dis some disconnect with that high school coaching staff, it does give them some protection and not falling through the cracks and making sure they get exposure. But the fact of the matter is this. There's 50,000 high schools in America, um, and I could promise you if you can play, the college coaches will hear about you, they will find you, and they will see, see you uh, have a chance to play. How did you navigate all this as a dad and as a guy who works in front offices of Major League Baseball teams over the years? Well, my son was recruited in two sports, and he was recruited in football and, and baseball. And so the first criteria was who was going to let him do both. That eliminated a lot because there's a lot of Division One football coaches that say, you know, I don't want two-sport guys. Uh, he was a kicker, and he was a pitcher on the baseball field. So we really narrowed it down from there. And then the aspect of, okay – you know, we're not going to get too far away from home based on personal reasons. And so we just narrowed it down. And then what was important to me as a father was my son playing for a coach that had sons. So in the event that something did come up or you had to have that hard conversation with the coach, um, they could relate to you. Hey, coach, you've got three sons. And I'm speaking of Rich Price at University of Kansas, who is one of the most outstanding coaches in the country, great man, great father, great husband. That was important to me because I knew when my son woke up every day 
and went to practice. He was being led by a great man. And that was important. So, and every family is different with that. Some kids, their, you know, their dads and granddads and great granddads went to a certain university and that's where they're going. And there's, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. So, uh, but just trying to get as much honesty from the coaches, as much transparency, and knowing that once you step to that next level, there are no guarantees. I mean, it's a bottom line business uh, in Division One sports and college sports that you have to win games, and and so you have to prepare your player to get in that environment and and, and just do the best they can to compete every day. You know, you, you mentioned earlier, use baseball, don't let it use you, or soccer, or football, whatever sport it is that you know that parents have kids. And what do you mean by that? I would not put my son in a situation where, and, and I felt like I only did it one time in, in my son's career where he went to an area code tryout, uh, that it was going to be about throw hard, run fast, hit far. And, you know, my son was more of a, a, a skilled player from the standpoint of he understood the game and was a, a, a student of the game and wasn't going to outskill a lot of people. He was going to outprepare, outcompete, but he wasn't given great God-given ability. You know, he was a left-handed pitcher that threw 88 miles an hour and really knew how to pitch. He wasn't going to go to this camp and throw 94, which is what they were looking for. And I, I say that, you know, if, if you're paying $2,500 a summer to pay, play a particular sport and your player is a part-time player, it's probably time to put that young player in another environment where for the dollars you're paying, you're going to get more playing time. Um, and, and that's really what I mean by that. Just don't, don't do things just to do it because you think you've got to do it because everybody else is doing it. Do it because it's what's right for your player. All right, so let, let, let's look at the situation we're in now. We're, we're sitting here, we're all hibernating and, and stuck inside and can't do anything. Seniors lost spring seasons. Most likely everybody's going to lose their fall season for high school sports. Like if you're a senior now or a junior now and you're going into your senior year, what are you telling these kids about the opportunity to, to take that at the next level if all this stuff gets wiped out? Well, I had a, I had a conversation with a Division One parent yesterday that, you know, their son was like, you know, he's a part-time player. You know, he's got another school that wants him. And I'm like, look, man, this is what I would say to you. You know, I would stay exactly where you are right now, where you where you know what the known is. Because – the bottleneck right now in, in sports right now is going to be at the collegiate level. And I really believe that junior college sports are going to be increasingly stronger over the next two to three years as a result of what's going on. Because you've got, like in baseball right now, you've got 80% of the player pool being cut from the draft right now. Those kids are going to be going back to school. You've got the kids that got the extra year of eligibility going back. And you've got an incoming group of freshmen that are now going on campus. So, there's going to be a real bottleneck at the collegiate level. And so, you know, just it, for me, having your player that's entering college athletics, having their mindset being prepared to compete because the coaches are up, uh, going to do one thing. They want to win. And so you, you better get out of the excuse mode and start getting into the competition mode because the competition is here. Uh, and the other thing for the, for the, uh, for the student athletes that don't, that lost their senior year, that, don't really have a place to play. Uh, and this is what I did. Uh, I transferred from a, an NAI school to a Division I school. And, and I told myself this, look, I'm going to try to play at the highest level, and I'm going to go out and try out for the highest level and pick this school to do it at. And if it doesn't work, I'm going to begin to working on the things that I want to do after baseball. 
And so I transferred to the University of Texas at Arlington, told myself, if I don't make this team, I'm going to go to work for the Texas Rangers. Well, both happened. I made the team, played three years, and went to work for the Rangers. And I think there just comes a point to where you've got to put it on the line and find out what kind of player you are. So for the, for the student athlete that doesn't really have a school right now, you know, find those four or five schools that really interest you for the city that the school is in, for your degree plan, and, and, and put it all on the line and, and walk onto that team and just see where you truly stand because this game is going to end for all of us at some point. And right now, with the bottleneck in collegiate athletics, you've really got to bet on you and just say, look, I'm going to pick a good school in a city that if I'm not playing sports, this is where I want to be and put it all on the line and, and reach out to those coaching staffs and, and try to walk onto those programs. Yeah, I mean, this is, this is like nothing we've ever seen before. Obviously, there's no playbook to handle this. And, you know, I sit here, and I, I really do. I feel bad for a lot of the seniors, but I feel bad for some of the juniors, too, that aren't going to get this because who knows the trickle-down that this thing is going to have, you know, from, from the high school level to the collegiate level. And, you know, some of these high school juniors were counting on this season to start, you know, getting scouted to see where they were go, you know, by the time they reach their senior year, maybe they already have a plan in place. How are teams handling and universities handling looking at kids that would have been juniors during this, this spring baseball season? No doubt. And you know what? And, and I've got some friends that are mid-major college coaches and lower-level college coaches, and I'm like, hey, you've got a chance right here to create some, per, some uh, relationships with some players and maybe pick off that guy that would have gone to a, a, a you know, a higher-level division, a, a Power 5 Division one that they just want the security of knowing they've got the scholarship, you may pick off a few of those players. So I think there's going to be a real kind of balance uh, uh, to some of the, the stronger programs going to mid-majors, junior colleges, and lower-level colleges right now, simply because that athlete wants to secure that they know that they've got a place to play after high school. Yeah, that, that is true. Yeah, you can kind of swoop in and get that done, and they know, hey, I'm set regardless of what happens. At least I know – you know, these guys want me and whatnot, and maybe that's just the best way to do it. But again, like, like nobody knows what to do right now. We're all just kind of sitting around waiting, and, and, and as each day goes by, you're losing more and more time, and that's time that you, know, you and I are old enough where, okay, we'll get a, we'll, we could possibly get some of that time back. But these, these high school kids, once it's gone, it's gone, and, and there's, there's no way to recoup that. Same with the college kids too, you know? Really sad. It really is. Yeah, it's awful. All right, before we, uh, before we wrap this thing up, um, when you look at the situation that we are in right now, what do you look at the future of youth sports being from not the college level, but from seniors on down in, in high school? Do you see it changing drastically because of where we sit right now? Because I know I was talking to some parents the other day. We're like, it's kind of nice not running the 10, 15 games every Saturday. You know, it's kind of a nice little break. Do you think that's going to change the way youth sports is done in this country? I think it could. I, th I think there's going to be an economic, economic impact on all of this, especially from a travel standpoint, because a lot of families, you know, are, are in, in a lot of trouble financially right now, and they're not going to be able to, you know, throw out that $2,500 to play. They're not going to be able to, to commit to traveling across the country to play sports. So I think you're going to see a scale down potentially in programs that just financially couldn't survive uh, through this pandemic and this unfortunate situation. Uh, and I think uh, one of the better things that could come from this is that you might see more programs pouring into their city and their local kids and their local leagues. And, and I, I truly believe that, that that's important. I truly believe there's value to that. Uh, and, and I'm going to tell one quick story. Uh, when my son was 13 years old, he had never played for a losing team. And he had, he had just come off winning the U-Triple-S-A uh, National Championship in Omaha, Nebraska, the Road to Omaha Tournament. And 
I told him that next year he was going to play for the worst team in town. And he said, dad, I'm not doing it. And I said, yes, you are because you don't know how to manage failure. You're real good with success, but you've never had to get five outs in an inning because of errors and backup bases uh, because guy, your guys are doubling and tripling off you and, and, and managing, you know, your people making errors behind you. And so that next summer we put him on the worst team in, in town and it was the best thing that ever happened to him. He was, he was going into his eighth grade year and he learned a lot about managing failure and playing with kids that were less talented. Well, fast forward four years, that team that he was on that was the worst team in town ended up being the varsity baseball team because all those kids that were the really good athletes had gravitated to basketball and to football and to other sports or weren't playing sports at all or couldn't handle failure and, and got out of sports altogether. And that group of kids ended up being the varsity baseball team and 10 of them ended up going on to play college baseball. And that's how long the journey is and how long the path is and how, you know, you just got to stay the course. Don't live the life of comparison, your athlete versus other athletes. Keep them on their own plan, knowing that it's all going to come to an end and being a good leader, being a good husband, a father, a parent are the most important things when their playing career is over. Yeah, and that's the thing people don't really understand, I think, right now, letting their kids experience that failure and letting them have those moments because, you know, baseball, but life is a game of failure. You know, you have to learn how to respond from from your failures. And I, I see it around a lot. Like parents don't want their kids to fail. I don't want my kid to fail. But you can learn a lot from failing and, and learning about ways to, to not fail again, you know? Yeah, I was cut from my high school team three times and played three years of Division One baseball. And uh, there's not one thing that my family could have done to fight for me. I mean, I had to go through the failure aspect. And I think that if you really want to find out how much love your player has for the game, don't catch them when they fall. Don't run back to the house and get their equipment bag when they forget it. Let them miss that game. Let them find out, you know, it's because it's just one blip. If you're in this for the long run and you want them to be good, you know, collegiate players, one little blip on the road, on the, on the radar is not going to be a big deal. And great lessons can come from that. You know, if you've traveled a long way to play in a tournament and they miss curfew, don't let them play and let them let them see the rim. I think there's a growing uh, point from that. You know, there was there was a, a game, one, a tournament in Fayetteville, Arkansas, one time where some kids got caught with tobacco and they were going to suspend them the next game because they were playing in the championship. It wasn't going to be the next game for our family. It was that game. And it was a huge teaching moment and a huge learning lesson for our son. As you can see, great advice from Gene Watson on what to do, what not to do, and how basically to kind of navigate the youth sports world no matter what sport you play. I hope you found the podcast very informative if you're a parent and somehow take Gene's advice. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.